Hey, friends, welcome back. Thanks for being with us as we uh, begin a new week and as we begin a new uh, section, new study, um, moving to the New Testament and picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where we'll be for a while. It's been um, it's been a minute since we've done a Gospel. Uh, Luke is, we think, a good choice because um, it represents kind of a, a good basic understanding. If you're comfortable with the Gospel of Luke and, and what's in it, I think you'd have a pretty good handle, certainly on Matthew and Mark. Even there would be enough crossover with John that I think you'd be comfortable. Um, the Gospel of Luke is also interesting because as as far as we know, it's really the only two-volume set in the New Testament. Uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke, which we believe to be Luke um, from Acts, is also the author of Acts. And we know that for a couple of reasons. He dedicates the book to the same person. He mentions in the book of Acts that he's already written a previous volume. The language, the syntax, the grammar, the, most of that matches. The writing style is similar. So, um, not a lot of debate about the authorship of this book. Some debate about the date of this book. You can date it before the temple was destroyed in 70. You can date it as early as the 50s, or you can date it a little bit later, which is probably more common. Um, th- there's arguments on all sides of that. That one is probably not as much of a consensus, Michael. But in terms of the person who brings himself to the task of recording a gospel. Um, we know as much about this particular, the way that happens here, than we do um, maybe all three of the other gospels in some sense. So all of the gospels, Clint, can really have a robust conversation with the author, the style, some of the intention stuff. You can look at a book like Matthew. You can see in it a lot of emphasis upon Judaism, Jewish concepts, Old Testament scripture, prophecy fulfillment. There's a lot in that book that is very much specific towards that. Uh, Mark has its own specific features. John sort of does John's own thing. But What makes Luke really interesting, I think, is how polished it is, and some of that is maybe lost on the English speakers because all of the Gospels on some level uh, have polished because of the ways that it's been interpreted into English for us. But if you were a Greek scholar, if you could read the language as it was handed down by the earliest church, you would see that the construction of the actual sentences themselves, the structure of the argument itself, the details included surrounding certain aspects of a story or a miraculous healing, all of them have a little bit more nuance and a little bit more detail than what the other gospel writers take time to share. And that is relevant because I think when you turn to the book of Luke, it is an orderly account. And in some ways, maybe, Clint, it's funny that it took Presbyterian so long to get to this gospel, but there is a kind of reliability to the start all the way through the end of this book. There's a there's a kind of intention, which not all of the other gospels share in exact form, to, to put the narrative in this structure the order that goes and moves that is somewhat reliable at what reliable that that is somewhat um uh, 
founded with a time kind of through line that Luke is interested in that. I think it's a fascinating look for a gospel. Yeah, it, and I want I want to be careful with this because I I don't want to I I don't want to insinuate that this is Luke's primary purpose, but in some ways I think Michael as it pertains to his gospel and really to the book of Acts as well one of the ways that you can think of Luke is a historian. Luke seeks out the story of Jesus in the gospel, the story of the church in the book of Acts, and seeks to record it, uh, but not simply for historical sake, but for the sake of understanding God's work through the gospel and through the church. And Luke is uh, he, he is very cautious he he's very diligent in that task he he is an orderly thinker he's an excellent writer he has command of the language he's uses sophisticated um versions of the greek the syntax the wording and we are introduced to a man in the in acts and he's referenced in two of the letters of paul luke the physician and historically, it's always made sense that it would perhaps be someone like a doctor who would bring themselves to a work like the Gospel of Luke that is clearly from someone educated, that Luke may have been a person of means, certainly would have been a person of education. And so the the idea that, again, that the idea that this is Luke the physician has really been Nothing is ever a consensus when it comes to biblical questions. Um, it's never unanimous, but it has. This has been the generally agreed upon idea in this book, and Luke has a its own flavor, as do all of the Gospels. Luke is part of the set that we call the Synoptics, the Gospels that are largely alike: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is so unique as compared to the others that John really kind of does its own thing. But the other three have a similar timeline. They have similar contents. They have some departures from one another. But we treat them as three of the same kind of story and the same kind of contents. And Luke, uh, within those three, stands out for some reasons. Each stand out on their own. Mark's the shortest. Mark's the simplest. Matthew is very concerned with things like the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And and Luke has some nuances that he brings to this story as well. And what's interesting, Michael, is that in many cases, they really do seem to reflect his work and his experience as we see it in the book of Acts. Yeah, that's the interesting, I think, historical, biblical aspect. When you start a book like Luke, you have to name from the start that we're going to go through this book, but even though the earliest church, as far as I'm aware, uh, the commentator state, so I believe it's true, that the earliest church didn't have these books combined. Luke and Acts aren't found in the same codexes. Their connections are clear. I, I mean, their address is the same, the characters are woven together. And, and so the sense that these Luke and Acts together make part one, part two is particularly instrumental. And I think many folks, Clint, find it odd that Luke and 
Acts are separated by John in our Bible as we have it. I think people are often sort of confused. Well, if they're joined together, if there's a similar through line to them, why did they get separated? And we can, you know, maybe engage that another time. But the point being, John being in between them is not in some way to suggest that these are separate or different, that instead there's good reason to believe that there's the idea of the account from the beginning all the way through the birth of the church and that there's a kind of crimson red thread that's intended to be presented in the midst of all of that. It's, I think, also relevant to note that when we talk about Luke being an educated writer, we don't mean that he was an academic in an ivory tower. I think what we mean by that is that he was utilizing very sophisticated rhetorical devices. He was speaking in a way that would have been resonant with a more academic person in the Hellenistic world. But there's also elements in Luke as we go through it that are distinctly related to the Jewishness of Jesus and the Jewishness of that story, like ways that things are said are more reflective of an Aramaic translation than they would be a more high Greek or something like that. So just the point to be made here, not to go too deep into that stuff, is that that here we have a person who's clearly capable, clearly interested in laying out the narrative in such a way that it's a reliable testament to the story and, and how things transpired, and also simultaneously a story that is deeply reflective of the culture and the time and the place and the earliest Christians, which were Jewish people following Jesus Christ, which of course we see that being the major subject through line of the book of Acts in the question of, well, how does it get from Jesus's ministry to the church that is today, which, which is that amazing sort of second movement of the gospel after Jesus's ascension. But just to say here, Clint, that we are dealing with someone of really a broad experience, that he has the ability and awareness to speak to a educated Hellenistic world, but he does so from a vantage of faith, and he's clearly in that community. Right. And we'll try to point out those moments where Luke um, writes something or says something that makes it clear that he does bring a great deal of intellect, a great deal of education to that. Um, it, it is it is difficult in English because when you translate, you we often find those things cleaned up. And so some of those differences just don't come across as much. But if you can imagine the difference between reading a paper written by a middle school student, a high school student, a college student, and a PhD student, Luke is clearly on the PhD end of the scale. He, he just, he, he is clearly a man who is thoughtful and has a mastery of his of his language and of what he's trying to do. There are some other interesting things about Luke. Um, he is almost certainly a Gentile, um, not a Greek or uh, excuse me, not a Jewish name per se. Uh, that that distinguishes him uh, likely in the category of scripture. Uh, there's probably not a great deal of our Bible or New Testament that is written by Gentile authors. And yet two of these books seem to have been Luke and Acts. And then the other interesting thing, and we'll try to tone this down, but there is such a symmetry between the book of Luke and the book of Acts that that there's 
it's really helpful to see how they inform one another. And Luke, I think more so, you could make a case that Matthew is sensitive to the plight of the church, and, and that's certainly true, but it's very specifically true. Luke is deeply impacted by the unfolding story of the Christian church and by what they're doing. So just a just a very clear example, Luke is among the Gospels the most universal. Luke is really the only Gospel that in subtle ways makes room for Gentiles in the Jesus story. Most of that happens post-Gospel in the book of Acts, in Paul's writings for certain. But the other Gospels are not as colored by that sensitivity to Gentiles as Luke is. And Luke has clearly seen that playing out in the church as a co-worker of Paul, hearing Paul, listening to Paul, watching Paul do ministry. Luke knows that the work of Christ has opened the door to Gentiles, and there are places you can clearly see how that influences his telling of a story in the gospel as opposed to the way it is presented in the other gospels. And there'll be lots of opportunities for us to point that out, but um, just know going in, it will help you if you keep in mind that Luke deeply cares about outsiders and Gentiles. The same thing comes to the forefront, Michael, when we talk about Luke's concern for sort of the down and out. Yeah, so we couldn't get through an introduction without talking about Luke, the gospel of the the last, the least, and the lost. There's this uh, extreme emphasis in the book, oh, extreme, there's a consistent emphasis throughout the book on pointing out the stories where the kingdom of God inverts the social order. And so it's the people who are poor, it's the people who are sick, it's the people who are labeled as sinners. And, you know, what's fascinating is it is even the the Jews, the, the tax collector who's Jewish is seen as being inverted in the kingdom of God as being one who's loved, cherished, and by grace accepted by Jesus. So it's not even clean lines. It's not as if Luke sees it between Gentiles and Jews or between rich and poor. These lines blur for him. Anyone who has been pushed to the bottom is a recipient of Jesus's restorative kingdom work, to be restored to the rightful place of being people made in the image of God. And Jesus is in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see over and over again, Jesus slows down. He stops. He listens. He defies expectations when he turns to face someone in a moment of their need. Uh, even when everyone else is moving towards another place, Jesus is quick to see those who are in the shadows and in the corner. And that emphasis is going to appear, like I said, it's going to appear financially and socially and uh, physically, all of the different ways that human brokenness affects us. Luke really takes great time and pains to show us how Jesus sets about to restore and correct all of that. Yeah, and it's not to say that that isn't in the other Gospels. It's just to say that Luke rings that bell more often when Luke has a chance to tell those stories. And in some cases, they're stories that aren't in the other Gospels, Luke is always going to take advantage of that moment to remind us of Jesus' work among the, the left out. Um, that also gives him a sensitivity toward women. Um, Luke is 
the Jesus Luke presents is a little more open, a little more friendly. There are some stories where women are given a little bit higher role in in the Gospel of Luke. And again, that's his his soft spot for the outsider. We mentioned his care, his concern for the poor. That also comes across in the way that this gospel deals with wealth. Jesus is um, very upfront in warning the wealthy, in speaking about the ills of wealth and the temptations of money. And that's, again, not to say that those things aren't present in other gospels, but Luke lifts them up more consistently and more passionately. And you'll get a sense of that as we go through this gospel. And that really is part of the core of the story Luke's trying to present here. There's some interesting contrast with other gospels. Uh, there are certainly conflicts with Pharisees in this gospel, though less pronounced than what you have in Matthew or John. You have stories like the crucifixion being really alluded to from the very beginning of the book of Luke. Luke is not, there's no surprise in the cross coming, both in what Jesus has to say, as well as the way that narr- that Luke has laid out the narrative. And scholars do point out, and we may be going through it at a pace where it might be hard in some cases to see this. We'll try to point it out. But Luke has carefully ordered the geography of this story. Things like the story begins in Jerusalem and it ends in Jerusalem. And Jesus makes journeys through different regions. And those journeys are often very specifically, if you map them out very specifically and carefully laid out. And in the midst of all of that kind of order, there is meaning being told there. And We, by the way, see very similar themes and arrangements in the book of Acts as the church grows and distributes. There's a very kind of geographical movement to it. So that's another way in which Luke is sensitive to telling this story with order and with discernibility and and trying to show us the ways in which Jesus, when he shows up, is not doing so haphazardly. Jesus isn't making it up as he goes the way that God's revealing that that when Jesus goes for the lost and least, you know, Clint, he's not doing that because he's on a whim. He's doing that because that's what God's salvific work in the world would look like. When he goes to the cross, it's not because uh, of people outwitting him or, or Jesus being uh, taken away from his plan. It's because Jesus intended in this salvific path to, to go to the cross. It's it's very carefully laid out. The story is well told, and it's told for a specific purpose. Right. And and Luke is um Luke is purposeful. That's a that's I think a I think that's a good word, Michael, a good description. Um a couple of other things we think we know about this gospel. Luke is less Jewish, in some sense, we've mentioned that he's more universal. If in the Gospel of Matthew, there's all kinds of Old Testament quotes. It's clear that Matthew is writing to a group of people for whom the idea of fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy or what they would call scriptural prophecy matters. Um, Matthew generally doesn't bother to describe if he uses a Jewish term or references a Jewish festival or event. He, he doesn't usually describe how things work within Judaism because he seems to assume that the people reading his work are going to know that. That's different in Luke. Um, Luke is not going to quote. 
it's it's not that it doesn't happen. It happens much less. It's not a it's not a major factor of Luke that he's trying to show the connection to to a, what we would call Old Testament prophecy. Also, when Luke makes a Jewish reference, he generally explains it, sort of get the idea that he thinks the people on the other end of the letter might not be familiar with some of those traditions, some of those practices. So he he kind of gives a little more explanation, and that all gives us the sense that while there may be Jews among his audience, that that's not the primary people he has in mind. And we'll point out those things as we go, but just be on the lookout for them because it's it's fairly common. And if you know what you're looking for, I think it's fairly obvious. I think that this is going to be, in some ways, a kind of refreshing change from the cadence that we had at the end of Exodus. The book of Luke is laid out in such a readable format. Maybe my final comment is the reason why we have our confirmation students read it here as part of their process in uh, their eighth grade year is because of how accessible Luke has made this telling of Jesus's life. Anyone can sit down and read it. We may discover different things. We may be at different stages of life, but this is a well-crafted telling of the life and story of Jesus Christ, and anyone would do well whether or not you've studied scripture before. You would do well to start here. There's much to learn about who Jesus is. There are many themes that even in today's world and today's church, I think that this book is particularly well situated for us to see Jesus as he was. And I think that in many ways, it helps us as modern people to read someone who is telling the gospel for those who may not have been first-generation Jewish. And, and for those of us who are Protestant and we likely don't have ties to Judaism, to its cultures, traditions, it, this can be a very accessible, a very even exciting and uh, convicting and encouraging book to read. So I hope that you'll discover that, that you'll feel that way as we go together. Yeah, this is a, this is a great introduction. I mean, there, there, there are lots of places you could point to somebody and say, if you just want a good handle on who the Bible thinks Jesus is, you know, Matthew would be a good, Luke, it'd be hard to argue that, it, it'd be hard to argue the choice of Luke. I, I just, there's, this is great. I, I think, and you're going to be surprised um, at places you will know a lot that is particular to Luke. There are some things that you know that are in Luke that you may not know are only in Luke. There's a couple of just beloved sections, things like the prodigal son, things like the the parable of the lost sheep. There's just there, there's stuff in here that that you won't know is exclusive to Luke. But when we get there, you'll say, "Oh, yeah, I, I definitely know that." Yeah, well, in a large section, we don't think of it, but Christmas hinges a lot on Luke. I yeah, mean, absolutely. If you were going to rely upon the gospel of John and Mark for Christmas, you're going to be hurting. So Luke is important in filling in some of the things that you know. A lot of that hinges on Luke, and we'll discover that. We'll rediscover that together. Yeah. So glad, glad you're with us for the journey. We'll kind of we'll probably ease our way into the text actually tomorrow, but hopefully this is a good... Um, starting point and give you some good information as we get going and and do um, maybe even write down some of those themes we've talked about in the front of your Bible because it, it they're going to come up and I, I think you will get a sense of who Luke is and what he's trying to do if you're conscious of when they do. 
Thanks for being here. We're excited to start. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.